We're starting a new series today. So let me tee that up with an absolutely true story that I read recently, because the stuff you read on the internet is absolutely true. A man walked into uh, Joe's barbershop for his regular haircut. As he snips away, Joe asks, what's up? And the man proceeds to explain he's taking a vacation to Rome. Rome, Joe says, why would you go there? It's a crowded, dirty city full of Italians. Sorry to the Italians in the group. You'd be crazy to go to Rome. So how are you getting there? Uh, well, we're taking United, the man replies. United, Joe yells. They're terrible airlines. So where are you staying in Rome? The man says, well, we're staying at the downtown International Marriott. That dump, says Joe. That's the worst hotel in the city. The rooms are small. The, the service is surly and slow, and they're overpriced. So what you doing when you're there? The man says, well, we're going to see the Vatican, hope to see the Pope. Ha, that's rich, laughs Joe. You and a million other people trying to see him. He'll look like the size of an ant. Boy, good luck on this trip. You're going to need it. A month later, the man comes in for his regular haircut. Joe says, how'd the trip go to Rome? I bet you United was the worst flight of your life. No, quite the opposite, the man explained. Not only were they on time in one of their brand new planes, but it was full, and they bumped us up to first class. The food and wine were wonderful, and I had an attendant who waited on me hand and foot. Hmm, Joe says, well, I bet the hotel was just like I described. No, quite the opposite. They just finished a $25 million remodeling project that's the finest hotel in Rome now. They were overbooked, so they apologized, gave us the presidential suite, no extra charge. Well, Joe mumbles, I know you didn't get to see the Pope. Actually, we were quite lucky. As we toured the Vatican, a Swiss guard tapped me on the shoulder and explained the Pope likes to personally visit with some of the visitors, and if you'd be so kind as to step into this private room and wait, the Pope will personally greet you. Sure enough, after five minutes, the Pope walked through the door, shook my hand, and, and knelt down as, we sp as he spoke a few words to me. Impressed, Joe said, wow. Well, tell me, please, what did he say? Oh, not much, really. Just where'd you get that horrible haircut? So... <laughs> <laughs> completely true story. <laughs> We're starting a new series today, and I'm hoping you don't get a horrible haircut. This series of conversations, for the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about resilience. You know, they often say kids are resilient, but what about adults? In many ways, it seems like we get more fragile as we get older, less and less able to bounce back. Is it possible to live your whole life with resilience, to live with flexibility and grace in the face of change and difficulty, to bend but never break in the face of adversity, to finish what you started and finish strong, to live with real purpose despite the circumstances. Is it possible that our best days are ahead of us? No matter where we are in life, that our best days are ahead of us. And we're using the bamboo plant as the backdrop image for this series uh, and it, it teaches us some important lessons about resilience. Pete Kim found this anonymous reflection on bamboo some time ago and sent it to me. Listen to this. One of my fondest memories as a child is going by the river and sitting idly on the bank. There I would enjoy the peace and quiet, watch the water rush downstream and listen to the chirps of birds and the rustling of leaves in the trees. I would also watch the bamboo trees bend under pressure from the wind, watch them return gracefully to their upright original position after the wind had died down. When I think about the bamboo tree's ability to bounce back or return to its original position, the word resilience comes to mind. When used in reference to a person, this word means the ability to readily recover from any situation that stretches our limits. And then the author says this, have you ever felt like you're about to snap? Have you ever felt like you're at your breaking point? Well, if you've ever felt that way, then the next four weeks are especially designed for you. We're going to talk about how to live a resilient life. 
And we're going to use as our launching point a rich passage from the New Testament, from the writings of the Apostle Paul. This comes from 1 Corinthians. If you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to look at it. 1 Corinthians is pretty far toward the back. If you get to like Revelation, you've gone too far, go south. If you get to Acts, keep going north. We're in the New Testament. It's going to be about this far in. If you have the Bible on your phone, check out 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If not, it's going to be on the screen for you. Let's stand together and go old school. Let's stand out of reverence for God's Word. And I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and following to the end of the chapter. This is really rich. I I want you to hear the imagery here. He mixes images a couple of times. He's first talking about runners, and then he talks about boxers, but you'll get the point. Is what's in his mind are elite athletes. Listen to this. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I don't fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So honestly, Lord, I pray that today you would speak encouragement and motivation and for some of us, really, instruction. We want to hear from you because we need resilience. Literally every aspect, every project of our lives requires resilience. And I pray that you would be moving and inspiring and working resilience into our lives because you are the ultimate source of stick to of perseverance, of faithfulness. We want to receive today from you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If you miss everything else I say today, don't miss this. Resilient people live with spiritual discipline. So we're going to say a variety of things over the next four weeks about resilience and building resilience, but we won't say anything more important than this. Resilient people live with spiritual discipline. They exercise self-control. They train to go the distance. Here's a truth that I think we forget. Pause for dramatic effect. In all the ways that are most important, we get better and better with age. Now, it's absolutely true that we're all deteriorating and falling apart physically. Diane, my wife, and I the other night went out to dinner with our youngest son, Graham, and Graham was talking about his latest ache and pain, which is actually something he does need to check out, and he said, I I need to go to a doctor. What's your doctor? We started talking about the doctor, and of course, Diane was concerned about Graham, and how are you doing, Graham? Tell me, and Graham was like, so Graham and I end up talking about physical peak and professional athletes. There's been a lot of study about this, And, and for men at least, I think it's actually younger for women. But I'm not sure about that. Let's assume it's older. But for men, the physical peak for men is, on average, somewhere between 26 and 29. Depending on biology, you know, depending on diet, depending on your exercise habits, it might be 25 for some, it might be 31 for some. But, but here's something that's absolutely certain. Whatever the exact number is, this much is clear. If you're over 33 and you're in here this morning, it's all downhill from here. 
<laughs> and now that I'm depressed, all of us, I'm actually going to pile on because the Bible agrees with this in many places. The Bible adamantly agrees. At one point, the same Apostle Paul says, quote, we are outwardly wasting away. But there's good news. We are nowhere near our peak spiritually. For almost every one of us, the best years of our lives can be yet to come. Wisdom is still growing within us, enabling enhanced decision-making and better advice for others. The greatest potential for good, sacrificial, impactful good is still ahead of us. The greatest potential for advancing God's cause, proclaiming God's love in word and deed is still in front of us. Increased capacity to love. Increased understanding of and experience of joy and peace. Increased patience and kindness. Enlarged hearts of goodness and faithfulness are still in front of us if we learn to live resilient lives. Now, someone here this morning is thinking of quitting. A marriage, a career, everything. Someone here has had it. You can't take it anymore. Not a single ounce Maybe what I'm saying sounds like pie-in-the-sky, unrealistic Pollyanna positivity. Or maybe we have the potential to be increasingly at our best with increasing capacity for emotional and spiritual wealth if we learn to live resiliently. That's why these lessons are so critically important for us. Now let's pause for a second and be honest with ourselves about something. Our growth, our in particular, our growth in resilience is severely challenged. The American suburbs are great places for relative safety, for educational advancement, for income possibilities, and much more. But they are not great training grounds for resilient living. This is a place that breeds frenzy and self-reliance, and I've got to have that because everybody else has it in this. And these things are enemies of resilience. The suburbs expose us to tremendous soul-numbing pressures that grind us down and force conformity. So if we want to live at our best over the long term, we will stand apart from our routine and take time to pay attention. And I'll get back to that at the end. So in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, Paul transports us to the arena of athletics, obviously. And it's not hard to imagine Paul picturing elite athletes who compete in Olympic Games. He uses these highly trained athletes as the backdrop to make our point today, run in such a way as to get the prize, he says, or as New Testament scholar Gordon Fee puts it, he says, run as that one runs who wins the prize. Now God's point, of course, is not that there's only one prize, so you better get it. His point is that runners who win do so because of the way they train and the way they run, and we should live like that. So let's be specific. What way is he talking about? How should we live? Paul offers two directives, specifically. Number one, he says we should live with strict self-control. And number two, he says we should live with focused intentionality. Have you seen those commercials, the television commercials about Captain Obvious? He's advertising Hotels.com, and what he usually comes on and says something stupid and completely obvious, I guess the gig is he's making the point that it should be completely obvious to you that you should use hotels.com. We know we shouldn't eat sugar. We know we should get more exercise. I'm hoping that today will not be about stating the obvious to make us all feel more guilty. 
That's not what we're doing today. We know we should be more disciplined. I'm hoping that this is not just Captain Obvious making us all feel a little more guilty. Today is meant to be an inspiration for many of us, motivation to do what we already know we need to do. Let's consider this today a jumpstart on the fall. Let's do it new and differently. And for some, this will be instructive. You may have never really contemplated this topic, or certainly not in depth. You may not really know what I mean by spiritual discipline. We'll get to that shortly. But first, let's dig into Paul's two directives about the way we should live. All right, directive number one, we should live with strict self-control. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training, Paul says. The word translated strict training can also mean self-control. For some reason, the New International Version, a version we usually use at Gateway, leaves off the phrase, in all things at the end of this verse, but it's present in the Greek of Paul's original. In fact, English Standard Version, another translation of the New Testament, translates this verse, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. So you and I should live with strict self-control always in all things. In Paul's day, the athletes competing in public games had to go into 10 months of strict training. They were disqualified if they failed to do so. Of course, today the training for elite athletes is far more intense than that. Now, if we want to win a prize that's passing, let's dial in here. If we want to win a prize that's passing, then we don't need to think about spiritual discipline. If we want a, a really nice weekend away, or a new couch for the basement, or if we want 60 minutes of pleasure, or a quick way to forget about our troubles, if we think that those things will really make us feel better in the long run, then those things are probably readily available to us. They take minimal sacrifices, in some cases not, none at all. But if we want a prize that lasts, we will have to exercise self-control, and resilient people exercise strict self-control. Neil Bascom is an author, and he wrote a book a number of years ago called The Perfect Mile. And in that book, he tells the story of Roger Bannister and John Landy and Wes Sandy, who I think were all British, and they were all chasing the four-minute mile. Actually, in a book by Gordon MacDonald called A Resilient Life, MacDonald quotes from this uh, book, and then he makes a rich comment about it. Listen to this passage from The Perfect Mile. All three runners endured thousands of hours of training to shape their bodies and minds. They ran more miles in a year than many of us walk in a lifetime. They spent a large part of their youth struggling for breath. They trained week after week to the point of collapse, all to shave off a second, maybe two, during a mile race. The time it takes to snap one's finger and register the sound. These were sleepless nights and training sessions in rain, sleet, snow, and scorching heat. There were times when they wanted to go for a beer or a date, yet they knew they couldn't. They understood that life was somehow different for them, that idle happiness eluded them. Are you tired yet? And then McDonald makes this observation. The rewards we seek in life begin with submission to training and discipline. And the specific discipline that Paul is talking about here is saying no to some of our lesser desires and saying yes to those things which will enrich our lives over the long haul. Resilient people exercise spiritual discipline. 
Now, this can sound like drudgery. Often when we hear the word discipline, fun doesn't immediately leap to our minds. But we're not talking about drudgery. We're really talking about freedom. I had one of the most encouraging conversations that I've had for many years this past week. A young man who used to be part of our congregation and has spent the better part of a decade getting himself into deep trouble, pursuing pleasure, in large part because he was trying to work his way out of, avoid, get around, and make go away depression, and a deep gripping depression that began for him late in his college years. And so it started as fairly regular and intense alcohol use, and it turned into something much, much more severe and deeper and more profound, ultimately an entire lifestyle that was consumed with drug and alcohol use. He's been pulled out of that very, very recently, and he wanted me to know. And I told Diane the other night, it was an incredible privilege to be able to hear this guy's story and to be able to say to him, you know what? I'm not ashamed of you. I'm proud of you for what you've done. And to see the look on his face, it was more lifting for him than if I had said, here are the keys to a new Mercedes. I promise you. He used this word. He said, you know, for the first time in years, I feel free. This is not drudgery. This is freedom. Thomas Merton was a famous 20th century author and monk. I want you to listen to what Merton says about this. No one who simply eats or drinks when he feels like eating or drinking or smokes whenever he feels the urge to light a cigarette or gratifies his curiosity and sensuality whenever they are stimulated can consider himself a free person. He has renounced his spiritual freedom and become the servant of his bodily impulses. Therefore, his mind and his will are not fully his own. They are under the power of his appetites, and through the medium of his appetites, they are under the power of those who gratify his appetites. If we want to build resilience, we will live with strict self-control. This is not burdensome. It's freeing. We are, in fact, most free when we are under discipline. Second directive that Paul gives us, remember, is we should live with focused intentionality, Resilient people live with spiritual discipline. They train to go the distance. They live with focused intentionality. Notice Paul tells us that the elite athletes that he's imagining train to win a prize. They train with a purpose. Then when they run, they run to win. They run with purpose. They run with the finish line fixed in their vision. But their goal, he reminds us, while noble, is still a crown that fades. We discipline ourselves in the same way, fixed on the finish line, training to win, but our victory gives a crown that lasts. We do not run or fight, and you know, he's mixing metaphors here, so I feel better about my communication style. We don't run or fight without purpose. We do it with focused intentionality. Resilient people don't live their lives casually Far too much is at stake in your week this week than for you to live casually. We do not run or fight without purpose. We don't. 
Now look, this is not a call for all of us to to become super driven and highly intense. This is a call for us to simply remain focused on our purpose. It's awesome if you can, apologies in advance, I'm going to try to step on our toes. It's awesome if you can show up at church once in a while and enjoy the service. You can continue to live your life in your normal routine, and every now and then, absolutely, you're almost certain to stumble into a very inspiring article or a moving television show or a movie that will give you a lift and an encouragement and make you feel better and make you feel like doing better. That's just going to happen for you every now and then. And that's great as far as it goes, but it doesn't go very far. It doesn't go far enough. That will not build resilience. Our lives are so busy with work and kids' stuff, sometimes it seems that that's really all that's available to us, but that's not going to build a life that can shine through the greatest difficulties, and the greatest difficulties are coming. And some of you are already in them. That's why I said suburban living is so challenging. Building resilience will require that you ask, how is my connection to God? How deep is my joy and my sorrow, and what's the source of it? How deep and meaningful are my connections to others? And how do I grow those things? What's my plan? Focused intentionality. Developing resilience requires that kind of intentionality. What set that young man free? In the conversation, I'm going back to the guy that I met last week, the great conversation I had. He told me that he was living in another part of the country, things got really bad for him. He lost a lot of weight because he wasn't eating. He was basically drinking and doing drugs. And Diane and I saw a picture of him one time during this period, and we thought, holy smokes, what happened? He moved back to our area, and he was working in a bar in One Loudon. Not exactly the ideal atmosphere for this young man, but he was there. And one Sunday... He was waiting on tables in this bar, and he heard this conversation with this group of people. They were making fun of a Christian song that had been released back in the 90s, some goofy Christian song. And, of course, from his experience, his life experience, he knew the song. He comes over to them, he brings them their drinks, and he says, are you guys talking about so-and-so? Ha! They can't believe he knows that song. They talk about how goofy it is. They build this interaction. Turns out one of the guys sitting at the table is a pastor coincidentally, whom God has called to start a church here in Northern Virginia. How rich is that? God knows exactly where you are. No matter who you are, He knows exactly where you are. So, this pastor says, I'd love to hang out with you. And the young man told me, I have no idea why I gave him my information. I had no desire to hang out with this guy. But I gave him my information, they made a date, and he blew him off. And this young pastor was unrelenting. (laughs) He kept texting and calling. Finally, they got together. They sit down over a table together, a little bit of small talk, and then after a little while, the pastor says to him, you know, you're a great guy, fun to be around. You've got a lot of charisma. I can see that people are drawn to you, and in some ways, you're living the life and he's just nodding his head and smiling. And then the pastor leans across the table and says, I think you're miserable. 
and I think you're running from God, and you're never going to be able to live with purpose until you surrender. He called that the best conversation of his life because it set him free. And what he did then is began to try to figure out how to rebuild the self-control and the focused intentionality in his life that had been guardrails for him when he was a younger man. Resilience is not built by fretting about this week's struggles. Resilience is built by training to go the distance with focused intentionality. It makes little difference how fast you run 100 meters if the race is 400 meters long. So what do I mean by spiritual discipline? Before we go, we have to talk about that. In very general terms, discipline means saying no to shorter-term pleasures so that you might gain longer-term and greater pleasures. I'm going to say that again because that's not an unspiritual definition, even though the word pleasure is in it. Discipline means saying no to shorter-term pleasures so that you might gain longer-term and greater pleasures. That's what Paul means when he says, I beat my body. This isn't a reference to asceticism. He's not literally talking about beating himself. He's talking about disciplining himself through whatever means in order to create space for God to build God's character into him. Paul means he, Paul, will use any means available to him to say no to short-term and unhelpful appetites so that he may gain longer-term good. So, I hope I've given us a little injection. I'm going to end this morning by getting eminently practical. Now, here's, this is great because often when we get together in conversations like this, you want something practical, but really, you know, sometimes the practical is not that helpful. Honestly, I don't know if this will be helpful to you or not. I certainly know what won't be helpful if you try to remember all of this and make this a checklist. So what I'm going to encourage is that you'll take one or two of the things that I'm about to talk about and really do something about them. Really do something about them. Really. Put it on your calendar. Do something about it to build resilience. I may use this illustration again during our four weeks together. I don't have this in my notes, and when I depart from my notes, it's dangerous for all of us, but I've used this illustration before. You know, I can remember I am a moderate baseball fan. I'm nowhere near Crystal and Dave's level of baseball fandom. Don't talk to Crystal and Dave if you don't want to talk about the Nationals, but I am more than a baseball fan. I'm a Yankees hater. I apologize to those of you who are Yankees fans. Yeah. <laughs> And the most irritating Yankee of all to me ever was Derek Jeter. And he was irritating to me because he was so stinking good. And Jeter always made the right play. Not only amazing, but always the right play. Deep at the shortstop position, he'd get those balls turned, fire it over to first base, backhanded, diving. Jeter always made not only the amazing play, but he made the right play. How? Hours and hours and hours of practice. You don't get to show up on the field in a Yankee uniform and make the right play unless you have spent hours and hours training. So when difficulty comes in your life, or when joy comes, 
when great circumstance comes, how do you respond well? How do you build a life that's sustainable? How do you have resilience? How do you be better next year, wiser, more patient, more loving than you are now? Training. You open yourself up to his character. All right. Sorry about that. Some specific disciplines. Number one, everybody do this one. Let's be obnoxious. Raise your right hand. The other right hand for some of you. Raise your right hand. I will do this one. One, two, three. That was pathetic. Okay. First of all, as a habit, some serious time of reflection. It was apparently Socrates who said the unexamined life is not worth living. I don't know if this is weekly, probably not, monthly, or if this is semi-annually. Take a personal retreat and reflect on your life. How am I doing? How's my connection to God? You don't have time to ask that question tomorrow. Not really. You can ask it on your way to work, but you're not going to hear anything meaningfully from yourself, much less from God. How's my connection to God? How's my connection to others that are significant in my life? Where's the rub? Where's the dissonance? How am I doing? A serious time of reflection. Some of you know that at least twice a year and sometimes more, I will take three days and go to a monastery here in Northern Virginia. And I don't talk, and I don't use my phone, and I don't read email. I reflect, and I enter the rhythm of the monastery. Again, maybe this is monthly, maybe this is semi-annually. It could be that you're a journaler, and you need to get away and just write. You start out with, here's what's happened. Here's what's gone on over the last four months. Here's what's up in my life. Away, get ready. Some of you are going to break out in shingles, but away from your phone. Away from distractions. Get rested up. Here's what I do when I go to the monastery. I wake up. They have a service at 3.30 in the morning. So I usually, I know, I usually wake up and go to the service at 3.30 in the morning, and then I come back and I tell myself, I'm going to pray. And so I get on my knees because I'm so godly. And then I realize it hurts my knees. So I get in the bed and I wake up at nine. <laughs> and it's okay. Because I'm not looking at my phone and I'm not looking at my computer and then I get on my knees and I pray. Serious time of reflection. Schedule it. Try to go home today and schedule it. Maybe it's November. A serious time of reflection as a spiritual habit. Secondly, I encourage you you can't pick all of these, but engage in a serious Bible study. We're going to offer some options for that, at least in the winter and spring of next year in some of our small groups, and maybe we'll have a class or two. But I mean serious Bible study. Those of you who have never done that before, it is incredibly rich and rewarding. Look, I promise you, I'll give you your money back if it's not. And the thing is, when you do serious Bible study on a portion of the Bible, it's weird, but the whole thing comes to life for you in a new way. 
So find a time and a mechanism to drill down on a serious Bible study. Don't go three inches deep. Go a half a mile deep on a book or a passage of Scripture. The last time I went to the monastery, all I took with me this time was a notepad in my Bible. And I decided, I don't know why, but I decided that I was going to spend time with Jeremiah. So over the course of three days, I read the entire book of Jeremiah twice, all the way through. And I filled a notebook up with notes about Jeremiah. I've read Jeremiah many times. I don't know if I've ever read it in one setting. And it came to life for me, just mulling it over and the richness of it. Engage in a serious Bible study. Third, regular Bible reading. Look, it's life-changing. So find a way to build this habit into your life. And I can promise you that there are those of you this morning who feel like, I don't even get God. I'm totally disconnected from God. I don't know what, I don't even know what he's talking about. And look, that, it's a relationship. So it sits on him as well as you. But if you're not doing any of the things that I'm talking about, you're going to be disconnected from God. So, regular Bible reading. Let me add a fourth one. Daily prayer. You need to find some mechanism and some way to engage in daily prayer. It's a muscle that can be strengthened. It's an art that can be learned. And you'll grow deeper and deeper. Prayer is the easiest thing in the world and the most complicated. So it will take us our lifetime to figure it out. But engage in daily prayer. Fifth. Physical exercise. I know, we all feel guilty about this one, but this may be the one that you need to bite off this fall. Physical exercise helps your spiritual discipline. If you will, first thing in the morning, break a sweat or take a 30-minute walk and elevate your heart rate to the whatever, the rate it's supposed to be elevated to, you will be living a more disciplined spirit. You just will. Your discipline will be enhanced by that. Finally, you need a regular time of worship. You need a regular time when you're saying, it's not about me, it's about you. You need to be reminded of that. And you need to remind your own heart of that. A time when you honestly offer all that you know of yourself to all that you know of God. This is, by the way, what we try to do. I don't know if you've gotten the memo, but we get together here every Sunday morning. And this is what we try to do. We try to offer ourselves a regular space and a regular time for irregular worship. In this business of exercising spiritual discipline, we are simply following the lifestyle of our master Jesus. Throughout his life, we find Jesus in the temple on Sabbath. More than once, we are told that was his habit. Several times we find him up early in the morning before anyone else praying at least once, he stays up all night to pray. More than once, Jesus retires from everyone else so that he can take a retreat and reflect. He knew the importance of spiritual discipline. He knew that living a resilient life takes effort, but he also knew that the effort was worth it. And remember this, St. Augustine's quote is, without God, I can't. Because God is the one who is the source of perseverance God is the one who is the source of stick to God is the one who is the source of faithfulness. Our unchanging God, always there. And he 
allows that character to be translated to us. He inhabits, that character inhabits us increasingly as we connect with him. Without God, I can't. But the second part of that phrase, Augustine also said, without me, God won't. No one gets to live a life without difficulty. We all face challenges. The only question is how will we manage those challenges? Will we impose our internal chaos on others, inflicting damage on the people around us, occasionally struggling with periods of utter exhaustion, threatening to quit everything in our lives, periodically ready to throw in the towel, overwhelmed in turmoil? Or will we live with emotional discipline? Will we see ourselves managing the worst crises with a measure of grace and strength, maintaining the nobility of our character throughout and even strengthening our relationships during those times? Will we chart a steady course faithful to the end? We will not unless we exercise spiritual discipline. Resilient people exercise spiritual discipline. Let's pray. And I'm going to ask the worship team to benedict us by leading us in that new song again. We're going to sing that verse and chorus again as a way to say, okay, yeah, I get it. And here's what has been spoken into my life. Would you stand with me? Father, we want... (laughs) There's a lot that we want. But we really... Today we recognize that we want and we need to make it to the end, to live well, to finish strong, to manage our crises to be a source of strength and grace for others because there's so much of it in our lives. God, we want that. We want to be growing in love and patience and joy and peace and faithfulness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. We want to be more like that. We want to be people who are more like you. I pray, God, that you whatever word you've spoken into each of our hearts this morning, that you will seal it, confirm it, wrap it up, and keep it, protect it, and allow us to act on it, to move on it. Hear us, Lord. Faithful.
glad you were here with us this morning. You know, as we were thinking of a song uh, before this one, to really go along with this theme of resilience, I thought of one, one came to mind. And it was actually a kid's song that we learned, that all the kids learned in one of the uh, camps that we did in our previous summer. And it goes like this. Run in the race. Keeping the pace, running the race with Jesus. Keeping our eyes on the prize, running the race with the Lord. Now there's no way I'd make you sing that, right? All right, sing that with me. <laughs> running the race, keeping the pace, running the race with Jesus. Running the race, keeping the pace, running the race with Jesus. Keeping our eyes, keeping our eyes on the prize, the prize. Running the race with the Lord. One more time. If you thought we were the cool hip church, keep looking. Running the race, keeping the pace. Running the race with Jesus. Keeping our eyes, keeping our eyes on the prize. Running the race with the Lord. Thank you, Gateway. Practice the five-minute rule. Make sure to say hello to somebody on your way out. Meet somebody new. A lot of new faces here. Have a great Sunday.